Welcome back to Exquisitely Aligned, where we know the answers are on the inside. Oftentimes people think it's a Google search, but transformation is not that at all. Here I help you leave the one size fits all world, which is begging us to conform, so that you can live your one of a kind life, making an even bigger impact and living life on your terms where you become exactly what you see missing in the world today. And my guest has done exactly that. Today, I'm excited to bring to you Dr. Sue Nielsen. She is a board certified family physician with over 20 years of clinical experience. Born and raised in Minnesota, which is a little too cold for me, Sue. <laughs> she worked in a small community near the Twin Cities. She left full-time practice at age 45 to pursue a spiritual path and recover from years of workaholic behaviors. Again, that one size fits all life, right? Mm -hmm. yep. She is a strict vegetarian, animal lover, and uh, environmentalist. She is currently semi-retired, which we all hope to be, right? Taking time to teach yoga and meditation and treating patients with similar addictions. Her hobbies include travel, photography, scuba diving, golf, birding, and animal advocacy. She is living in Florida with her beloved dog, Javier, and her port partner, boyfriend. Welcome, Sue. It's so lovely to have you join me today. Thank you for having me. You are quite welcome. I know we're going to have a fun time um, conversing on so many levels. I taught yoga for nearly two decades and absolutely still have a huge passion for it and use it, the mindset practice along with poses for my and breath work, all of it, I should say, all eight limbs of yoga with my one-on-one uh, -on -one clients. It's something that definitely has changed my life. So let's start there with um, a little bit of yoga. How does it help you? For me, I'm going to use the word balance, stay grounded, your life. Oh, yoga is a necessity, I believe, for me now. I started started yoga probably about eight years now, and mm. um, it immediately improved my physical well-being. I saw that yes. immediately within just a few weeks, within six mm -hmm. months, much better. It, it, it helped me so much then mentally, too. I felt so good yes. after yoga class. <laughs> and I'm like, there's something here that I don't. It looks deceptively easy, but it's not an easy thing to do to do yoga. And um, so then I decided to get trained as a yoga instructor myself. And I went to Bali for a month and did yoga training and came back and started teaching. And it was, yeah, I think it's the kind of a, a, a fork in the road in my life, actually. It was mm -hmm. what finally made me realize how to take good care of myself. Mm, perfect. Yes. What I, what I always loved was when a student was gone for a bit you know, and uh, they would come back and I would say, oh, welcome back. It's so good to see you. And they'd say, my body and my mind need it. You know, like I, I just thought life was just so easy. And then they realized. So, um, but yes, I absolutely love yoga and what it does on so many levels, but today we're not speaking of that. I'm sure it'll come up with certain mm -hmm. energy centers as we speak. Yep. But I wanted to ask you, let's see, 
oh, I don't have the right questions in front of me. So I know you're a family doctor. Let's start there. I printed mm -hmm. the wrong page. That's always lovely, isn't it? Um, accidents do happen sometimes. Um, so I wanted to ask you, how did you become a doctor? What, what, I'm married to a, a family doc <laughs> okay. and I, I did not know him uh, prior to college, prior to medical school, prior to residency. I met him when he was full fledged in practice for a bit. But um, I always wonder like what, because I am not um, a traditional medicine person, I prefer uh, traditional Chinese medicine, TCM, but uh, how did you feel that calling? What, what happens? I would not call it a calling because okay. um, it was something that uh, I saw as a significant challenge. I've always been seeking challenge my whole life. And yeah. what's, what's the biggest challenge academically, right? Mm -hmm. You know, is go to medical school. Um, I was going to go and I decided not to. And then I worked for a little while and I said, you know, just working isn't going to do it for me. I need, I need more education. I need more mm -hmm. something. Um, and I wasn't feeling challenged at work at all. And so mm -hmm. I took the leap and went back to medical school after actually graduating college three years. And so mm -hmm. um, it was fueled by the need for challenge, but also, as I say in my book, safety, security, stability, mm -hmm. you know, you knew if you went to medical school, you knew you're going to be a doctor, you knew you'd get a job, you knew you'd pay, get paid well, you knew you'd be mm -hmm. secure and stable. Um, so it was kind of a... Yeah, choice that made sense at the time when I was 26 years old. I was very, mm. very uh, unclear about what I wanted out of life and felt very unstable as well. So this was going to mm. provide me the path to that stability. Yeah, there's um, I'm smiling because I have a son in college now and a daughter getting ready next year. And it's so true. I think that in our American education system, we don't give enough information to the child, or in my opinion, like I said, one size fits all. Right. I think we're asked to look outside of ourselves for yes. how to be, what's important, mm -hmm. uh, that Instagram ready life versus what we really truly want in our, our soul level desires. Right. Um, I'm sorry, our soul level truths, our heartfelt desires and using our gifts and talents and Recently, uh, through my one-on-one -on -one work, we are now offering, offering college career and chocolate croissants to help fill that void because it is very difficult. You're saying at age 26, what about at age 16, 17, 18? Picking, you know, picking a college is not about uh, where will I enjoy living. Right. You know, it's it's what is my calling? Where will I be? able to use my gifts and my talents. It's, it's, uh, I think in other countries, they're prepared more because they have opportunities to look at careers. But um, let me ask you a question because um, I wrote down two of the S words. I missed the last one. You said safety, security, and what was the last one? Stability. Oh, of course. How could I? Well, you yes. know, I, and I thought that it was a it was a good job to have. You're helping people. You're making a difference. I had the idea of what a, a doctor was. I thought, well, that sounds like a pretty good job for me. Um, mm -hmm. 
not really understanding what I was getting into. I didn't have any, I didn't have any mentors. I didn't have anybody Mm -hmm. to help guide me. I had a friend who was in medical school, gave me an idea of what I was getting into, but I I didn't have any idea what I was getting into. And that's, that's a great point. You know, mentors can really help change or shadowing. I think it's always great for a student or a young person, you know, whether we're in college, high school, whatever, to shadow and talk with somebody who is, uh, Mark's done many in the 20, almost 24 years of marriage in a couple weeks or a week, um, mentoring neighbors, kids, you know, uh, friends of friends, colleagues, you know, what is it truly like to be a doctor? And, mm-hmm. you know, I don't think what, what I, being an outsider, right. what I think people don't realize is uh, the role of health insurance and how it, I'm going to say, in my opinion, dictates. Interferes. How, yes. Um how a doctor gets to practice as far as timing. Um, I remember that being difficult for Mark, like, you know, trying to, it's not a uh, meat market where you're next, next, but it can feel like that for the physician, especially one who has a big heart. uh, Like I think you have, Mark definitely has, and wants to really get to the bottom of the problem and knows there are multiple layers, like an onion peeling back. Yeah. And really getting to see what is um, what is going on there. So I'm glad you you said that. I have a question for you. I find that um, in my more than two decades of doing transformational work, I call it my three A's. I believe that as a child, we are seeking attention. You mm-hmm. see a little three-year-old having a temper tantrum or they're putting on a dance party, right? So you have... <laughs> Two different ways they know they can get attention. Right. Um, because they're young, right? And then we go to, let's say we're moving up the chakras, the energy centers, and we're going to high school. And now we're looking for approval from our mm-hmm. peers. And that is very natural at that given state and time. Yep. And then there's acknowledgement. And I believe that when we go to college or get degrees, initials behind our names, uh, MD, Dr. Sue Nielsen, you know, um, ESQ, whatever those are, E-R-Y-T for me, right? Uh, um, having taught over a thousand hours of yoga, but um, I call that acknowledgement. And those are outside approvals. Yes. They don't fill, in my opinion, um, I've had clients come to me who are extremely successful in their careers lots of money, et cetera, things if they wanted the the luxuries of life. But what they felt they was missing was this empty hole. And so had you ever felt that as you were building your, your, um, you know, your, your wealth of information, your degrees, and, and, and I know you have continuing ed. So I'm yeah. not just talking about medical school. I'm talking on and on and on. And I would add another A would be achievement. You know, yes. so mm-hmm. so right. I was constantly trying to achieve and overachieve and be the best. Yeah. Um, and so, how do I say this? It's just going to medical school was very challenging, and it was it was all about 
sadly, you know, trying to be one of the best students and really, mm -hmm. I, I wanted to learn a lot to be a good physician, oh, you know, so the motivation was pure, I still think, but yes. I also wanted to be at the top of my class. I wanted mm -hmm. to get that recognition so mm -hmm. that I could get into a good residency. Sure. Um, and that just continued on. I mean, I was right. very successful in my residency. Once I got to practice, very successful. My practice closed very quickly because I was very popular. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> when you say closed, I'm going to just add in. Oh, okay. I know what that means, but not that it closed shut down, but that it closed. She was no longer able to take more new patients. Go ahead. Right. Sorry. Yeah, patients, we, would get to, patients would get to me if they they had babies. The babies could come to me or they could refer <laughs> family members in. But it was kind of like they mm -hmm. had a club and then it was only right. people could get in. Um, and it's not it's it's not common really for people to get uh, get a panel of patients that quickly. But I attracted a lot of really cool patients and a lot of families. Yeah. And mm -hmm. um, and I I did. I got my ego had a lot of uh, pleasure from. Mm -hmm. being good at what I did, um, mm -hmm. having patients really appreciate me, having mm -hmm. staff appreciate me. I, I got a lot of ego feeding from that, but my soul, there was, it was, it was slowly dying on the vine, yeah. even though I was achieving everything I'd set out to do. You right. know? And uh, I think that's, let's hang there for just a second. <laughs> So I'm going to see if I can repeat, or do you remember exactly what you said or the gist? Because that's a very important sentence. Yeah, that I was achieving everything I had set out to do on high mm -hmm. levels, making mm -hmm. tons of money, had all the degrees, the recognition, everything I could possibly have asked for. But I was living a life without a soul and I was dying on the vine is what I said. Yeah. Um, and, and that, yeah, go ahead. I'm just saying it was, uh, it took me a long time to, figure that out. I just thought there was something wrong with me. Mm -hmm. You have everything you've ever asked for. Mm -hmm. And why aren't you happy? Right. It so I very think, difficult. yeah. So that goes back to the one size fits all life, right? We're told that having money is, should make you happy. Or right. we're, we're taught, let's say, that people don't, it's like these undertones of, you know, and for me, money is energy and it provides me with freedoms to make choices. It means that yesterday when my husband, after months of me telling him, your legs are two different sizes, I'm concerned, mm. he finally said, I'm in a ton of pain. And I said, I believe you have another DVT. And he mm. does. You know, oh, no. but anyway, I don't have an MD behind my name and I don't get to bill him a copay. So, you know, this is what we do. But um, it means I have the freedom that we have decent health insurance that right. he can choose where he goes. And that's right. important because he's There's a something to be said for that. Yeah. yeah, he's a double organ transplantee. It also means that I have the freedom to buy grass fed meats and mm -hmm. organic vegetables, you know, things like that. And so sometimes where people think it, you know, oh, she loves money or he loves money or money is everything. Money is money is the root of all evil. Like we have all these things, but really money is just an energy. It's an exchange. Instead of bartering where I come clean your kitchen table and then you give me a couple of eggs and I go home and fry my egg. You know what I mean? It, it We now have money in the way, but I think that, yeah. I would like to say just one thing about money for me yes. 
um, I had always wanted to travel. Yes. Um, and so for me, being a physician started being all about making enough money to travel. Right. A lot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I did. I very I, For 10 years, I traveled a lot. Yes. And it was, that was also fuel for my soul and for my awakening and my enlightenment just to be able to travel. And so um, it served a purpose. And yes. I, you know, so there's, there's something to be said for having the money to travel and open up your eyes to what else is out there. Cause I don't think if I would have traveled, I would have mm. really made much change in the way I was living my life. Exactly. I did an entire podcast by myself teaching it. Well, it actually, it was a two part and there is a blog as well. It's been published in several uh, magazines. So if you're interested, not you, Sue, but the listeners, uh, well, you all as well, Sue, that sounded terrible. That's not what I meant. I'm not asking you to go read it, but the eight benefits of travel. And there are, there's probably more like 25, but I just wanted to keep it, uh, you know, a um, under a thousand words for two different magazines that asked me to write for them. And um, it's in the series of The Art of Creating Beauty, and it's called Through Travel. But travel enlightens us in so many ways, being able to connect with people, which I know you're, you have a big heart and you're a connector with the animals and with humans and with the environment. And um, travel also opens us up to a heightened sense of um, uh, energies because when we're on the roads that we are on, we know our way. We could almost mm-hmm. drive with our eyes closed, mm-hmm. but all of a sudden you're in a new city. I was in Marrakesh, Morocco, and you know, um, barely anybody speaks English. So mm-hmm. all the road signs are in Arabic. So there are symbols that I, I can't make heads or tails. They all look beautiful. But when I turned streets down in the market looking for the restaurant, it was very difficult. They also speak French, which I don't speak. My husband was not on this trip with me. He can speak bits and pieces of French. So, you know, I was certainly on heightened alert of where am I noticing every nook and cranny. Mm -hmm. Okay, that, you know, that uh, newsstand, uh, the owner is wearing a red hat. This newsstand, the guy is not wearing a hat, you know, and just moving down the road like, okay, when I come back, I hope those employees are still the same people and they haven't taken on or off their hat. But, you know, it's you're really you really it's a great way of stretching yourself and understanding what's important in other places, because Mm -hmm. It's not about, especially we've done mission, uh, medical mission work uh, on the border of Haiti. You know, you see what's really important. And the word I'm going to use is another uh, thing that we are offering now is significance after success. And it has a fun name, significance. The next S is to be determined still uh, for, for the press and sangria. But um I think a lot of people are getting to the point where they're feeling that calling for more. So tell us how, um, you know, how did you transition from medical school to like where, where you are now? I know I had a question here. It says, uh, um, when were you first exposed to opioids? Because I know a little more about you. Mm -hmm. Uh, 
and they, but, um, and what happened after that. And I'm going to say I've had my own experience after my hip replacement. I had uh, opioids day of surgery, post-op day one, two, oh, and three. Okay. So uh, first day was half day and then three full days. And uh, I wasn't taking the dosage they asked me to take. I was taking a little less because I'm not into medicine. And I had withdrawal symptoms for seven days straight. And my husband, the family doctor, was concerned. Mm -hmm. And my kids were concerned. And I was over the moon concerned because I didn't look right. I had racing thoughts in the mind. And well, you probably know this stuff, but as uh, somebody who's not medically trained, I had one pupil dilated, the other one not. I had crazy um, memories from like all different parts of my life that didn't go together. I couldn't form my words. I had trouble speaking. People had to finish my sentences. Um, and I, to speak was very, very, very slow if I could find the word. Um, and I really thought, oh my God, this is the end of my life, <laughs> you know? But um, can you tell us, you know, how were you exposed to them? What? Well, you, you should count your blessings that you had that oh, reaction yeah. because someone like you is never going to have an opioid problem. <laughs> Unfortunately. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> Unfortunately, there's a subset of humans, including myself, that my first exposure to opioids was euphoric, amazing, wonderful. Mm -hmm. um, I had gotten hurt actually um, performing. A, I was doing surgery. I was during medical school. I was assisting during in surgery. School. It was during medical school. I was assisting in surgery and um, having to hold the retractors back for the surgeon for hours. Uh, the next morning, my back was in such severe like spasm that I was crying and screaming, yeah. just turning over in bed. Um, so then I went to my uh, the the medical school's clinic or whatever and yeah. complaining about my back spasm. I'm a I'm a 26 year old medical student. I've never had opioids before, um, mm. but for some reason, that physician prescribed me Percocet and Valium and sent me home. Wow. Yes. So I did what that doctor told me to do. And boy, did it feel great. Felt so what wonderful. is great? Because great, it, it was not great. I was extremely exhausted while on. And then you're lucky. Your, you, your brain chemistry is different. Yeah. My brain said, oh, is this what normal people feel like? Does this, this, is, this is wonderful. I'm not in pain. I okay. got a lot of energy. I feel better. You had energy. I had energy. I, I felt like a better version of myself. Wow. And this is this is what a lot of people with opioid problems, when they get exposed to opioids, this is their brain chemistry going, wow, it's a dopamine hit. It's a serotonin hit. Okay. It was pleasurable. I was relaxed. Yeah. I was I was more sociable. I was a better version of wow. myself. Wow. And so I took it. <laughs> Or, mm -hmm. you know, maybe on and off for a week or two. And then and then after that, it was it, it. I don't know. It changed something in my brain. From that point on, I sought it out, um, okay. not consistently at all. It was, mm -hmm. you know, a little bit here, a little bit there, you know, maybe once a month. I have a 
I'd have a prescription for Vicodin that would last maybe a whole year initially. Okay. And I would just take it for, I had chronic back pain at the time. And mm -hmm. so it got really bad. I would take the, that. Um, I found lots of excuses to take the mm. opioids because it, it made life better. I kept telling myself, it's improving the pain. I'm, I'm at the time I'm saying, I'm not getting euphoric. This is what I'm telling yeah. myself. I'm just getting out of pain. So could you, like, could you go to work the day you took it? Could you drive I, a car? Well, that very or, first time I did go to work on opioids, I, I quickly learned that that was not a smart thing to do. Okay. Because um, I, I so, just want, yeah. So then from that point on, I never took it while working. Okay. But it was as if, you know how people have a drink after work? Yeah. I have an okay. opioid maybe after work once in a while. Okay. Or on vacation, if my back hurt and I couldn't golf, I would take an yeah. opioid. You know, so mm -hmm. it served many purposes. It suppresses my, it suppressed my appetite. It, wow. um, it, it did a lot of really sadly wonderful things for 20, 15 years. I never really used it enough mm -hmm. to think I had a problem until okay. it became a problem <laughs> about. Well, and yeah, how, so what does, what, it, <laughs> I don't mean to be laughing with you, but I mean, um, so during the time there were, where you didn't feel it was a problem, did anyone in your, let's say, inner circle as like people who are close to you, it could be family, it could be, you know, best friends, colleagues that you really confide in? No. Okay. No, because I didn't tell anybody. Okay. I had one physician friend of mine who would give me just enough, just enough to treat my back pain. Yeah. Just enough, but not too much that it was that I could take it every day or that I could get mm -hmm. where he thought I could get dependent on it. And okay. so my husband at the time didn't even really know. He knew I had wow. a prescription, but he had no idea how much I was taking it. Um, I didn't tell anybody. Yeah. I, it was, it was a very deep seated secret for a very okay. long time. And, um, so then when you were making me laugh saying, you know, until it became a problem. So what did, what did that look like? Or, or I always feel like when we look back, everything is 2020, right? right. We're yeah. dating a guy. Someone says, Oh, he's not the greatest. And you're like, he is. And then you break up. You're like, Oh yeah, he wasn't the greatest. I see it now. Yeah. Or a job, let's say, yeah. right. You're in the job. You're like, it's not that bad. We tell ourselves these half truths and then we get out of it and we're like, wow, I can breathe again. I, I feel like I'm free. I can move. I can, you yeah. know, now I know what it's like to be in a good uh, position. But like what, um, you know, what did that look and feel like? What was there something that triggered it or looking back? Do you see or can you see a, a turn? Yeah. yeah, I mean, I think it was when I, I say I talk about it in my book that I remember vividly yeah. coming home from work one day. Mm. In a lot of pain, neck pain, because I'm always like this at work, just yes. way in all stress. So I'd come home with neck pain and headaches almost every day. Um, and so I'd try to take a hot tub or, you know, relax or yeah. exercise or do anything else, Advil, whatever. Um, mm -hmm. But I remember distinctly coming home one day from work and going straight to the medicine cabinet and grabbing my Vicodin. And I looked at my pill bottle and said, Sue, you know, this is addict behavior. You're just looking mm. for relief in a pill bottle. Yeah. And I said, you know, screw it. I'm going to take it. 
And so and that kind of like released the floodgates to take it whenever I wanted. And so it became, wow. it became more of, and more frequent. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And then like, how did that play out with working? Like I, I can't well, I still never problem. took it at work. I still never took it at work. I would only okay, take but- it nights, weekends, holidays, you know, whatever, but okay. it, and it wasn't every day. Um, okay. but I'd say for the last, it was enough though, that it wasn't really going into withdrawal, but, or physical dependence. It was a psychological dependence first okay, because it provided with so many benefits in my mind. Yeah. And I, and, and even looking back now, I don't even think I could have made it through that decade or so without it. Mm-hmm. It's it's kind of interesting because it's a it's not something I'm proud of. But now I look back and go, it served a purpose. Yeah. And, and you know, helped me get through a very difficult part of my life. Um, mm-hmm. But then it turned into once I quit working full time, then mm-hmm. that opened up the gates to well, now I can take it every day because oh. Okay. I'm not, I'm not seeing patients anymore. Okay. And that's when it really went down into the abysses. And then yeah. I started taking it every day. And just because again, I've got pain, I've got pain, you know? Yeah. And then slowly realizing that this is not going to go the way I want it to go and having to take then measures to get out of that situation. Yeah. And what was the turning point for that? I always wonder, you know, we see people, you know, whether it be drugs or alcohol or food or just a, a, an unhealthy, let's say, yep. lifestyle could be a relationship, be abusive, whatever. And being on the outside, it's like you want something for somebody. You know that their weight gain is uh, putting them at risk, let's say. And yes. You know, but but I know and I've always taught that, you know, the teacher appears when the student is ready. We may (laughs) want it more for them than they want for themselves. I mean, it happens still in my business today. Um, And, you know, what was that defining moment for you? Was did it come from within? I don't think there was a defining moment. It was okay. a, it was an evolution. And we go okay. back to that. What we first started talking about was yoga. Right. I started, I started, I mean, I wanted to be off of it. I didn't know how to get off of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but getting into yoga started getting me to start looking at myself. I had already gotten into some Buddhism, mm-hmm. you know, teachings and trying to figure out how this was working because yes. I struggled with depressive symptoms and suicidal ideation mm. and lots of negativity and self-sabotage and self-reproach. Mm-hmm. And so learning through Buddhism and through yoga, how to quiet the mind and still the mind and working through the trauma in the body. I yeah. think that that was the catalyst. I don't mm, think it yeah. was necessarily the, the reason why I got Mm-hmm. Off mm-hmm. It was a catalyst because I realized, well, if you're going to get your mind and body healthy, you're going to have to get off the drugs. Yeah. 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 And I, I was on something called Subutex for the listeners who don't know. If you're on Vicodin or Percocet or whatever, it's a very much an up and down every day and it's very mm-hmm. uncomfortable. But there is a treatment called Suboxone Subutex which is a partial opioid that helps put you in a very consistent 
and you will mm. not, you're, it's still an opioid, but you're not going through the ups and downs. You're, you become stable. And so okay. I got on that stable dose of opioids and that kind of helped clear the mind up a little bit. Not so much craving withdrawal, craving withdrawal. It was just, just kind of normal. So I was able to make better decisions on that. Yeah. Yeah. And that is, that is, I just want to make sure because that's a, a medicine I've heard of, but never knew enough of that was prescribed to help you come off. That mm -hmm. is one of yep. the wean. Okay. That's yep. awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Because um, just even the seven days of me having withdrawals gave me a good appreciation. It's a terrible it, drug. Right. What it's like for family members to watch because mm -hmm. they were concerned. Right. And what it was like for me to like, I couldn't sleep. I didn't sleep for those days. I mean, I had little bits because there was just such a, I would call it electricity in the mind, something yeah. I'd never ever it had before. And even when I was in college worrying about whatever test or paper or whatever I project I had it, that it, this was like, I don't know, a million fold. It was something I had never experienced, but it, it's, um, so you can understand then oh. the people who, who get dependent, um, yes. either by accident from a yeah. surgery or from like, mine was a slow moving accident yeah. <laughs> for a period of 15, 20 years. But, yeah. um, you can understand that when you're that uncomfortable and you know that if you just take more mm -hmm. of what you're, all those symptoms go away. Yeah. So you can understand how people who get dependent on these medications have a very hard time coming off because mm -hmm. it is so painful and so horrible and there's no support and there's no good treatments. Correct. Um, traditional medicine is terrible when it comes to helping people get better and yeah. even worse helping physicians get better. Yeah. If I would have told anybody in the medical field that I was struggling with this, it, it would have been devastating. Right. And it's, it's, that is, you know, oftentimes what comes up on this show is vulnerable, not oftentimes, but a third of the, the third of the episodes, we talk about being vulnerable and be, being able to raise our hand and say, I need help. We had, uh, Deborah Wondercheck here, who um, at 10, she had her cello on her back and her luggage in her hand. Mom was moving the youngest of the four of seven children, three were away at college, uh, out in the middle of the night. And it was kind of like an underground railroad, if you will, to escape um, a volatile marriage. Her husband, who unfortunately was a wonderful man, but things went wrong for him at that time. And, you know, it was amazing to me how she, this woman back then, we're talking a while back, was able to be vulnerable enough to tell people, I need help. We, I got to get these four kids. And, and women came out and it was all women came out and supported her and taught her how to hide things in the attic so she could for six months start stockpiling what she needed for this breakout of five people. And, you know, I think you you bring up a great point. How do you, with all the knowledge that you have, <laughs> be so transparent and make yourself vulnerable 
without knowing what the, you know, none of us want to be judged, whether we're in kindergarten or an adult, we don't want to be judged in a marriage. We don't want to be judged at work. And here you have, you know, a wealth of knowledge, but you know, it's, it breaks my heart because if we could be vulnerable and raise our hand and say, would you be able to help me, Dr. Sue, or whoever, you know, you could turn to, um, you know, what a difference the, the world would be, right? It, it, we still have this, I don't know what the right word is. Um, walls. You know, yeah. Yeah. Walls up. I mean, yeah. I never, I was notorious for not asking anybody for any help for anything. I was mm. going to do it all by myself because yeah. nobody had helped me growing up. Nobody helped me go to medical school. Nobody helped me anytime. So it was all on me. Um, so I didn't, I had some experience with traditional rehab and I knew that that was not going to work. Mm-hmm. That was not going to work. It was going to be too expensive. It was going to be too dangerous. It was going to be, there's just, this was not the path I could go down. So I really had to develop my own kind of rehabilitation, if you will, mm-hmm. uh, which involved yoga, as we talked about, yes. some Buddhism, meditation. Um, and then I, I found some information on a podcast, luckily, mm-hmm. um, Tommy Rose, Tommy Rosen and um, Dr. Gabor Mate. And got Dr. Gabor Mate is a psychiatrist out of Vancouver who treats, who's been treating um, people with addiction for many, many years, has written many mm-hmm. good books. Ta- he's taught me everything I know, everything, everything I needed to know uh, about addiction and how to possibly recover. Yeah. And he talked about Ibogaine and I'm like, Ibogaine. What's Ibogaine? Mm-hmm. What of is course, it? Google, Google, Google. What is Ibogaine? <laughs> and, and so this was 2018, 2017, 2018. Yeah. Um, so I'm like, oh, Ibogaine. It's a psychedelic that mm. actually interrupts opioid dependence mm. um, and helps rewire the brain and helps prevent relapse and um, it's not necessarily the most safest psychedelic out there, but there, I realized that there was treatment centers all over Mexico that have been treating people for a decade already. Wow. Um, it's got a very long storied history out of Gabon, West Africa. And they use it for spiritual mm-hmm. transformation out of West Africa. Mm-hmm. So I just did my research. I found myself an Ibogaine clinic. I did what I needed to do to go take Ibogaine. And so I went to Mexico and, 2018, 20, I'm trying to figure out what it was now. Yeah. It was After COVID, it blurs. <laughs> it blurs. It's a little blurry now. Yeah. 2019. Yes. 2019. It was before the pandemic. Luckily, thank God, I went before the pandemic. Yeah. Um, 2019, seriously. I went and did Ibogaine in Mexico. Mm-hmm. And although my story is kind of horrific, mm-hmm. uh, if you read my book, you'll see why. I had, it was not fun. It was, they did it. They didn't do it correctly. They, mm. there's a lot, there's a, there's a whole story around that, but mm. it still worked. It still mm-hmm. worked. It got me off the opioids. I have not touched them in four and four plus years. I have no cravings. Um, and so because of that experience, I kind of thought beforehand, if I can take Ibogaine and free myself from this, terrible problem. I'm going to write a book about it and tell everybody because if a doctor that knows how not to get dependent on opioids gets dependent on opioids, then, 
anybody can. And, and if I know that traditional rehab isn't going to help most of these people, and there is another way out, I'm going to let people know about it. And so that's what, that was kind of the reason why I wrote the book was it's kind of part men, part memoir, part very much uh, criticism of the healthcare system. Yeah. Um, it's not healthcare, it's sick care, right? Um, right. And then just some guidance to provide a light for people who have similar problems with depression, anxiety, drug dependence, how, how you could possibly get out of it yourself without mm-hmm. using um, traditional rehab. So, and so that's, then, then the book led to me now helping patients in this capacity. And, and, and that's what we love celebrating here with exquisitely aligned with, you know, it's, it's about the journey, but more so where we allow ourselves to go with it. Because I like to say we get two invitations and there's probably more, and you might be able to give me more of them, Sue, but, uh, First would be frightened and we can then become enlightened. And that happens in health, wealth, and uh, relationships. Like when Mark lost his kidney and liver failure, it was extremely frightening having a two-year-old that we just adopted Mm -hmm. and a kindergartner. Well, she was six and a half months, but now two. Um, And me being a young mom going, wait, what? You know, Um, but we are able to allow these these, you know, um, traumatic, I'm going to use the word traumatic. I hope not to offend you with that, but these, these traumatic events and allow them to bring us to enlightenment. Like you said, Buddhism, yoga, all the different spiritual things that you have picked up and, and embraced in a new way, shape and form of living with significance. And, um, the other, um, invitation, I believe, is when we feel intimidated and intrigued in the same breath (laughs) by something, (laughs) you know, and that could be like sitting to write a book, you know, share your journey, whatever that might be. Um, And so, Sue, I'm so happy. I'd love for you to, if you don't mind, show and tell us the, the title of the book, please, in your voice instead of me doing it. Yes. Opioids and Ibogaine, a doctor's trip, <laughs> because it's a play on words. Um, I had to take a trip to Mexico to get the Ibogaine, and then I tripped balls off when I was down there on the Ibogaine. So, um, and then it's also a trip through life, to, a journey through yes. life um, to get to from one place to another. Um, I feel it's just part of my journey. I don't think it's yeah. the, the end of my journey, but um least I feel like now when I practice medicine, it has more of a soul because I'm yes. helping patients that are in the same situation I was, right. where they're just trying to figure out a way to get off these very difficult medications, not just opioids, but stimulants, benzos, yeah. antidepressants, um, anti-anxiety medications, uh, whatever the case may be. Um, mm-hmm. I, I've been through it. So obviously I, I get a little credibility to be a doctor that's been through it. And so yeah. I think, um, and I get a lot of good motivated patients and we work together to find a path out. I love it. Um, and all of Sue's information will be in the show notes, how you can connect with her, how you can purchase her book, the title, everything there. Um, and You know, I think that's what life is about, is about us being able to use our talents and gifts 
in a huge way if we want to step into that. It's, it, it is not for everyone, but there are quite a few people tossing and turning at, I like to say, in the wee hours of the night. Sometimes we're of an age where our hormones are changing, so we're told by doctors or friends, oh, that's just your hormones. I believe differently. I believe it's when we feel a calling for more to step out of our comfort zone. And that's uh, this podcast, this television show is me stepping out of my comfort zone because mm -hmm. I was intimidated and intrigued by podcasting and television. And now I get to sit across and have conversations that are fulfilling on my soul level and um, really sharing things that matter that we don't often talk about as we see a neighbor or even hang out with close friends in our inner circle talking about being transparent today. It's hard. It's not easy. But Sue, you've done such a beautiful job and I commend you for that. I'd love to pull a card from the opening to possibilities deck, which I know you have. Wink, wink. And I yep. shuffled them once. I always like to shuffle them one more time so that the right card comes out. As I'm sure it will as we energetically align. So I'm going to... Um, thumb through them and you just tell me when you would like me to stop. Okay. Stop. <laughs> Can you see it? Travel. Oh! <laughs> that is a little bit, that's a little bit, I don't know what the word is. Well, I'll be honest with you, Sue, since you're an uh, energy sensitive hu human being as a Reiki level two, I charge these decks of cards with love and intention that the always the right card would come out for whoever it was. Wow. And that's um, amazing. That's it, amazing. It's been always fun, uh, especially on the show. You know, it, I use them myself, but it's especially fun being across and being able to pull a card. And travel is definitely, we're just talking about trips, but uh -huh. travel opens you up to possibilities and broadens horizons. There's three questions that go with that. You are more than welcome to answer one, two, or all three. It, you know, I know I'm putting you on the spot as I have the whole time. Where do you love to travel? What is your fondest memory? What's next on your wish list? Where do I love to travel? Pretty much anywhere, um, anywhere that I haven't been. Let's put it that mm -hmm. way. Um, I don't tend to go back to the same places anymore. Mm -hmm. um, I used to do a lot of scuba diving, so I'd go back to Cozumel a lot to dive yeah. because underwater there was a lot to see. I didn't really care so yeah. much about seeing Cozumel again, but it was the underwater <laughs> experience that I wanted to go back and see again yeah. and again which because it's different every time you go. So where do I like to travel? Someplace I haven't been. Mm -hmm. um, doesn't really matter too much, just as long as it's different than where I live. <laughs> what, was this, what was the second question? My fondest um, memory? Yeah, fondest memory. Oh, I don't think I can pick one. I mean, yeah. uh, every trip is, I mean, if we were talking earlier about how the money provided me the, the means yes. to travel, mm -hmm. the travel in that part of my life is what I look back on as being the most amazing part of my 20s and 30s and early 40s. It was like, yeah. oh my God, I got to go to the Galapagos 
I got to go to Hawaii, Alaska, yeah. all over yeah. the Caribbean. I would never have been able to do that had I not been a doctor and been able to make mm -hmm. enough money to travel. So I don't have one great place, but every place I go to is just amazing. And mm -hmm. my next trip I just booked, actually. Yeah. Yeah. We go to Panama for two weeks yeah. in February. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I remember you mentioning that. Yeah. And Mark and I share your passion for um, for travel. And I'm going to um, I'm not going to negate you, Sue, but I'm going to uh, share another way of traveling. Yes, I do believe we need money to travel, but sometimes there are exchanges. I was ah. able to teach yoga for several resorts around the world. Mm. I usually picked um, warm ones. So as you can, uh, as one teaches yoga, I taught Zumba, I taught bar paddleboarding. I had a paddleboard and paddleboard yoga business. Um, that I was extremely pa uh, passionate about. And I get to teach in Costa Rica a couple of times. Well, the, the trips I remember, Costa Rica, Jamaica a few times at different resorts, uh, Mexico a ton of times. Uh, we often picked Spanish-speaking countries because I could get the kids out of their Spanish-speaking um, schools as a learning vacation because right. oftentimes I would travel during the school year as well as during the summer. But there are ways when we, when I believe when we're in alignment, um, you know, like doing medical mission trips, because you could do that, you could do yoga teacher uh, and so forth. So um, I highly encourage everyone to travel. I gave my kids the travel bug and now we're fingers crossed that our son goes ahead and works in the airline industry because that's his dream so that mom and dad may get some free flights. No, <laughs> we'll, we'll find out. <laughs> but um, travel is definitely, and thank you for sharing your personal trip, your journey of opioids and healing and how you're paying it forward in an amazing multiple different ways, along with your passion for animals and the environment. I know you're a connector. I know you have messages to bring forth mm -hmm. and I know how important travel is to somebody who is here to serve us with brilliant minded, um, motivating messages, um, inspirationals popping. There's a lot of words, so I'll stop there, but you know what I'm saying. Yeah. And um, so, Sue, it's been such a great joy sharing the mic with you. And really, I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart for you going through the journey and making it through to enlightenment and being able to help others find their way when we live in a world that um, doesn't always allow us to be so transparent and vulnerable and we feel possibly judged and so what the work you're doing is definitely exquisite and for that i commend you thank you and all of her information will be below in the show notes so please reach out and connect her you will enjoy reading her book and learning more about her and i'd love to invite you to purpose possibilities and prosecco um, we have been having so much fun and the other one is significance in sangria. If you're looking for more significance and purpose in your life, we'd love to help you with a two hour transformative, um, session till next time. Be exquisite.